This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, gang. Good afternoon. Good morning. However, it applies. A New Year's Day edition of Locked On Browns. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, we're going to get to our PFF stuff today. Obviously, uh, you know, a little busy this time of week, and this is actually one of the times we can catch John here before he goes off and covers the Rose Bowl for the fine folks over at PFF. So for John Costco from PFF, your host, Jeff Lloyd, your local experts on the biggest stories, all things Cleveland Brown-wise for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. And I guess I'm going to start here, John. Um, Messaging maybe, I guess, 10 days, two weeks ago, and just talking about how it's it's over. You know, Freddie, it was – and you with the – we sure it's just Freddie? Um, you know, we sure wear John's hand in this – and it wasn't, you know, and obviously anybody who knows the show and gives Pete and I enough shit, you know, it wasn't that John didn't have his hand in all this. And maybe the final straw was, are we sure we really want to move on from Freddie? Which may have been enough for just do that. No, no, just get out. But uh, John, you know, look, I mean, new regime all around. I mean, I know Browns fans, look, there's no way this is a step forward. I understand that. But, you know, maybe it may be a step that had to be made for a greater good, John. I think it might have been a step forward because – well, without names yet, maybe, but go ahead. Well, sure. I mean, like, like you, John Dorsey, there's a reason why he was fired in Kansas City, despite having, you know, going to the playoffs multiple years and drafting Patrick Mahomes, and um, which obviously now, you know, now looks like a, a genius stroke and, and, you know, trading up for him to get, to actually get him. And, you know, you got Travis Kelsey um and some other good players you know he signed Mitchell Schwartz uh, in free agency like so like he he knows how to evaluate talent I don't think that's a you know that that's not his his issue his issue is bringing in uh you know red flag character you know individuals into the building and if you do that too much it it can ruin a locker room um and and or you can you basically need a head coach that can manage all that if you you're bringing in those types of players players that like you know like even like a Jermaine Whitehead who obviously you know just as, from his Twitter and per, social you know media personality that I mean just imagine how that type of person is in the locker room right so um, you know and, and then there's other players in there you look at them and you say yeah this guy doesn't look like he he really brings energy to the team. He looks like he's one of the, the energy vampires, but um, you know, and, and then there's other stories where he completely ignoring, you know uh, you know, large parts of the building uh, of information. You know, there's, there's a story that came out with, with him completely ignoring Paul Di Podesta's uh, information and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, you, you do that too often and you alienate so many people in the building. Um, and then you have this, this, you know, this ego, this power ego that you want to be, you, you want to be able to control everything uh, and build this team in your image. And he got that. And still the product on the field was, was a disaster, you know, and then him hired, he's the one that, that pounded the table for, for keeping Freddie kitchens. Um, and obviously that was, you know, that was a disaster there too. And the fact that he wanted to keep him in a second year, I mean, that's a report a rumor right now. I mean, you know, maybe he did, but yeah, he probably knew that like, Hey, if Eddie kitchen is getting fired, I'm going along with them, with him. He probably knew that. So, yeah. I mean, you look at from, from a roster standpoint, like obviously he drafted Nick Chubb, great player, right? He brought in Jarvis Landry. He's a good player. He brought in Odell Beckham jr. Who obviously was injured this year. Didn't have the year that everybody expected. He's a great player. 
Um, you know, a lot of us think that, you know, Baker Mayfield is the franchise quarterback. He did draft him. Um, you know, Denzel Ward's a good player. I mean, he brought in a lot of talent, but then you look at players like like Jermaine Whitehead, Chad Thomas, um, you know, Chris Hubbard is another guy that clearly hasn't panned out. Um, you know, he 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 alien seems like he, he's the one that alienated Richard Higgins and David Njoku. Um, you know, and he, he drafted Austin Corbett. Obviously, that, that was a bust there. Um, I can go down the list, you know, Antonio Callaway. There's a lot of players that you know, already they're gone uh, or have just been one of the lower graded players in, in the, on the team, you know, Eric Cush was the second lowest graded player on the offense. Demetrius Harris was a, the lowest graded player on offense. You look on the, on the defensive side of things, Chad Thomas was, you know, bottom six type guy, Deverell Lawrence, bottom four, Darius Taylor, bottom three, uh, Jermaine White was head was the worst. Um, Mac Wilson, who's, you know, I know a lot of Browns fans like him, but he was the fifth lowest. He was, you know, at a 42.9 this year. So there's, you know, you have good players and then he's got the bottom of the roster or the mid tier guys that are, were really, really bad. And you need to have those, those guys, especially if they're playing large chunks of snaps to not be so bad. So, um, and then, I mean, just a whole, whole swath of all that stuff that was going on in the building with the power I think it had to be made, and I think it's a it's a positive step for the for the organization because you can't you can't hire another coach and expect John Dorsey to be the GM and try to have the head coach be able to get the players that maybe he needs that fits fits his personality that he can uh, you know be able to manage and be a leader of. Um, you need to have the head coach and the GM in lockstep aligned, which the Browns haven't had for. Uh, I can't, I can't think of the Ever. last time they were right. <laughs> like I can't think of the last time they were actually aligned. So um, they, they need to have that. And I think this is that step in that direction. And, you know, reports just recently came out that Paul DePodesta will be running the head coaching search. And so they're, and they're being, and they're going to basically pair the head coach with the GM that he needs. And that is the way that needs to be done. You can't take a GM and then have him find a head coach that fits his, his, personality or fits for him it needs to be the head coach picking his gm because they those guys will be then aligned and say and when and they're making decisions they're aligned in those decisions and they know hey th- this is a type of player that i like to get and i know he's going to be coachable as opposed to having a gm going listen this guy has this person for you know profile make him work it, it doesn't work that way bill bill belichick isn't isn't having Nick Casario or whoever his GM has been in the past, they go, listen, Bill, you're going to have to deal with this guy. No, Bill's calling the shots. Even though Andy Reid isn't the the GM anymore, he's always been that guy of going, hey, these are the guys I need. These are the types of players I want. And so that was probably the issue with John Dorsey was he he was going off the rails of of, on some of these picks and going, hey, no, you know, I'm picking, I'm making the picks. You told me I could make the picks, and so he's probably that's probably why. Um, And and you see the best teams in the throughout history that's how it's been they they the coaches are the ones that pick the gms and so that's what the browns are hopefully getting um paul Podesta is, is the one that's going to be running the search so hopefully um whoever he picks is is that guy and it seems like his guy right now is at least kevin stefanski who we all saw in minnesota uh have a f- fantastic year with especially with their one of their best wide receivers out for most of the year and adam thielen um and an offensive line that was garbage so um we'll see we'll see i mean who knows so 
Um, you know, and I think one of the things, you know, and if you want to look at it, you can say, oh, well, he put together a lot of talent. But there was never one point during this entire 2019 season where you saw something that resembled a football team. No. Um, and then you hear from, you know, Todd Munkin, you know, whereas on Freddie was, you know, hey, maybe now why we all know why the first drives look pretty good. Um, because Freddie kind of went with, hey, well, this is what we practiced on Wednesday. Drive two. Hey, remember that thing? Remember that play we ran week 11? I'm going to go back to that. And, and maybe it's also a lot of the reason why, you know, the line, was, you know, that they were so late to the ball and, you know, and why there were people not doing the right assignments because it was something they weren't doing anymore. Then there was the force feeding of, you know, the Callaways, oh, you know, because Antonio Callaway gets, you know, is away from the team for a month. By all means, I mean, well, I mean, it wasn't way he was there. So it's even more egregious. Doesn't know what the hell's going on. Um, and it, the thing with, and it was great that, you know, like you beefed up and, you know, you went heavy on, you know, paying some money to some stars, but you needed to hit on those back end picks, which you never did. I mean, look, you, you know, I'm not going to pat the guy in the back for picking Baker Mayfield. Obviously, you got the franchise quarterback. It was a pretty good quarterback blast. It was really hard to screw that one up. Denzel Ward at four. You could have picked seven guys at four. They would have all panned out. That's about how deep that was. Go ahead, John. This is another thing, too. So two things on the, the you know, the why they were so good early. Um, I, I, you know, I, I had heard that basically Todd, Mon- you know, Monken was the one scripting the first, you know, 10, 15 plays of the game. And then it was Freddie Kitchens who was basically calling plays. And that's why it looked so bad. Um, and then I, I think I'd mentioned that, I think with you a couple weeks ago, or I don't know, maybe I did, but, um, but you're right. Like, that's exactly why, you know, Todd Monken was there heavily involved in the game plan. And then it was Freddie going off the rails of just calling whatever he wanted. Um, but then as, as, uh, what was the second point? The oh yeah, the the number four pick there. Um, I mean, they had a they had an offer, the same offer that the the Denver Broncos were getting from the the Bills of they were trying to trade up because they wanted Josh Allen, and you get. I mean, if you if you have an analytically minded uh, GM or or you know Sashi Brown, whatever making the, making this pick at four, and you get an offer of of two extra firsts and an extra second. To drive to trade back eight spots, you do it every single time. Like you, like Denzel Ward is a great player. I think, I think he obviously had a rough year this year. He was missed, you know, he missed you know several games because of injury and stuff like that. But I think you, you trade back, and if you miss out on Ward, so be it. Like you can't be so so egotistical. Like no, this is my guy. I know, I know he's going to be great. Like you don't know. Like the, the draft is a crapshoot. It's an absolute crapshoot, and so. Uh, trade back, get those extra picks. I think, uh, you know, uh, an analytically minded uh, front office would have taken that, that and run with it and then gotten Duro and James maybe at 12. Or and you even still, you can still could have went with, uh, you know, you could have went with Jairi Alexander if you were so smitten on corner. You could have. The thing is you, just you're giving yourself four chances at hitting as opposed to just one. When when did when did Jai, uh, Alexander get picked? He went like he went because uh, that was, was the pick where the Saints trade the Saints tra- Saints traded with Green Bay. Was it to uh, get Davenport? Oh, and then Green Bay dropped back. So, yeah. so so at twelve, like so, Derwin went what seventeen? Then Jair went eighteen. So it would have been something that if they wanted to get him, they would have both. If they they could have gotten both in in some form or fashion by with that trade back um, because they would have had multiple first rounds. So they could have done an extra trade up to get a player like that. And at that point you're in a, you're in a net win situation where like, I'm, you know, in a, in a vacuum, a single trade up of one, you know, from, you know, first round to higher first round and giving up picks or whatever is, is obviously a net loss for you. 
but in in aggregate with multiple trades or whatever you want you still uh, come out ahead by trading back and gaining a bunch of picks and then trading up a couple spots to get a player and only giving up a you know a couple of late later round picks or whatever uh but yeah i mean imagine that right like that's the thing why that's why you trade back in a draft and i know this is not a a draft centric um you know pod right here but you trade back so you can give yourself those those that ammo to try to take multiple different types of players and imagine the brown secondary with derwin james and jair alexander as opposed to whatever safeties they have now which probably not many of them are going to be on the roster next year so if they're not if they are they're not going to be starters but and that's the thing where it went from such a night and day approach to what you had and for those of us who appreciated what Sashi did that's why we still liked it and you I mean, still would have had success and the thing was you could have kept the Sashi plan going and probably still continue to build the roster and make it even stronger than it was we're going to get to the freddy side of it here with john in a second as we keep rolling on through happy new year everybody uh as we roll on through here on locked on browns uh, the Zabo Apparel Company, you guys know, um, I will always push. Um, I, I love the product. I love the people. Uh, the owner, uh, former uh, Armed Forces veteran, two children serving in the service currently. Um, love the quality of the products. Uh, they hold up from a wash well. Trust me, because my wife will beat up anything in a washing machine. It holds up. Quality of the shirt, the design, the artwork behind it, whether it's the Scottish hammer, whether it's the show up shirt, even the Richard Higgins, and I'll still hold out a little hope. Walk of the red carpet. ZaboApparel.com, ZaboApparel, at ZaboApparel on Twitter. Go ahead, check out the fine folks over at Zabo. John, you know, there were some reports that it was after the Raven game, and most everything I heard was, you know, when it was the death in the desert, so to speak. It was it. They realized they hadn't had their guy. And I think Freddie, with the way he just kind of would manipulate and just, you know, fly by the seat of his pants, he thought the talent was going to get him through offensively. and. Again, look, you know, obviously Jarvis barely practicing. Odell showing up on Fridays hurt, whatever, obviously killed a lot of timing. But if there was no rhyme or reason and there was no stick to the plan, it don't matter, you know, who the Jimmys and the Joes are if the X's and the O's suck. Right. I mean, if there's when, you know, A, Freddie's calling way too many run plays on second and long, um, you know, calling mate way too many um, uh run plays on first and 10 um, having way too many 11 personnel out there when the, the personnel didn't, didn't fit that, um, you know, where, where the team was much better in 12, uh, 21, 20, just heavier sets. And, but still calling, you know, 11, 11 and 10 and uh, you know, multiple wide receiver sets much more often, much more frequently um, even though the team was much more successful in the, in the heavier sets, you know, things like that. And then, and then just the, the lack of detail on everything that the, the team would do. Um, and then a prime example of that is, is, you know, you went and also look at the, the higher, the coaching staff that he hired and there's some good pieces in there that there's no doubt about that. Um, but like the most important there is QB coach. Um, and you can see that in Baker's fundamentals this year. And it's, and, you know, he's going to need a, a head coach that can bring in a an offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach that can really get Baker Mayfield back on the fundamentals of playing the quarterback position because it's it's something where, uh, you know, typically you're when you drop back, if you drop back to, say, 10 yards in, in the pocket, you have to step up two to three yards because that's where the offensive tackles are, are essentially blocking for because anything beyond that, 
and they, they're kind of screwed in terms of being able to block speedy edge rushers because those guys can get around the edge quickly, but they can they can ride them to nine to ten yards, um, and then it, it creates a clean pocket. And you also need the interior offensive line to be able to set a wall. But um, he was constantly dropping to ten yards and hanging back there, and that invites pressure immediately. You look at Baker's numbers uh, from from this year to last year when he he invited so much more pressure this year than he did last year. Um, last year, he, he, you know, he, he took on two sacks of his own. Um, and, you know, he was, he invited some pressure as well, but uh, I'm sorry, it was five sacks, but this year was nine, two hits, 21 hurries. Last year, he was, he was not a total, just in trouble, total pressures. He didn't allow over 20 himself. It was 15. So he was more than double what he did last year just inviting the pressure himself because we chart that where he's dropping too much. He's drifting in a pocket, uh, scrambling from clean pockets, stuff like that. So, um, you know, those kill drives that obviously puts the onus on, on the quarterback. He's creating more pressure on himself. And the thing is that he probably doesn't even know that he's doing it wrong because he's not being coached that he's doing it wrong. He's just, you know, and you also look at, Hey, when he, his first read is gone, he was, he was pretty much screwed because he didn't know what his progression was because it wasn't being coached what his progression was. And as a, as a player in college, you can, you can do that. You can figure that type of stuff out, or you're just flat out better than, you know, most 95% of college players that you can get away with it. Uh, But in the NFL, you like, you have to play it in a certain way, unless you're some type of super special athlete, like an Lamar Jackson. Um, And he's not, he's not that, but he can, he has obviously the arm talent. uh, But when you're, constantly doing the wrong things your footwork is bad uh you're you're taking too deep of drops your timing of your drops are poor so that way everything else looks off uh and then you compound it with the fact that like like odell beckham jr is not exactly sure where he's supposed to be uh and multiple other players aren't as well so it's the coaching staff on uh, that's on the coaching staff and that's on freddie kitchens for hiring that coaching staff who knows how much of that coaching staff was on him to hire was John Dorsey that was forcing play, uh, people on him? I guarantee you, Ryan Lindley though was a Freddie Kitchens hire. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, and and then the 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 reluctance to ever recognize, hey, like what I'm doing is not right. The co- the team isn't isn't clicking here. Maybe I should hand off play calling duties to, to Todd Monken and and maybe be a more of an oversight guy. Uh, but when things aren't going right, you can feel it and you go, hey, I'm out trying to protect my job. And if I give this these duties away to somebody else, then that means, hey, this guy, it's better run under this guy. So maybe I'm going to lose my job to this guy because of that. And that's the that's the wrong attitude to have about that. You, as a leader, you recognize, hey, this is where I'm deficient in right now. You you delegate it to somebody else. And as a leader, you as as a leader of that leader, um, you know they recognize, hey, he recognized a, a flaw in himself and he he corrected it. Um, and he, that's not how. A smart person thinks like that, but a a, a non-smart person, I don't want to I mean, <laughs> you know, people with, with lower intelligence don't think like that. They think they have they're pr- trying to protect, to protect themselves and people are out to get me. And that's the way uh, it seemed like he was thinking. Well, and that also may be just from the, the, the jump he went from running back coach to offensive coordinator for half the season to head coach and didn't understand the national progression of it. Um, well, and there's another thing, too. Sorry. You know, when he was in Arizona, he was a quarterback's coach for three years and then was demoted to running back's coach. I mean, that's After a demotion. being a college quarterback. 
he got, yeah so and he and it got demoted when Byron Leftwich came in so like Bruce Arians recognized this guy doesn't probably doesn't have it he's a good good position coach but you know what this guy's better I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him in um, for the most important assistant coach position so uh, I think that's a red flag there and uh, obviously. John Dor- he was a John Dorsey guy because John Dorsey brought him in from Arizona. It's not like Hugh Jackson had him on his radar um, to bring him into that staff. So neither, neither did he have the Todd Haley. Maybe Todd Haley, you know, was involved with that too. But um, we all seen how, how this all played out. So, yeah. Well, I mean, a couple things. Even with on Baker, look, we saw Baker take hits this year. We never saw him even come close to taking last year. And, yeah, you're, you literally got to his point and planted and it was more of a, am I going to have to go left or right? It was never, let me step off. And a, a big one was never dumping it off. Um, the one holdover essentially for 95% of the season in the passing game in Jarvis Landry. Um, you know, and one of the things we talked about in 18 all the time was it's amazing how Baker can just find who's who's open, whether it was a Darren Fells, whether it was a Higgins, whether it was a Ratley, whether it was Rashard Perriman. It didn't matter who the guys were. He found the open guy, made the throw. Those guys usually made the plays. This year, he really only had the one hold holdover in Jarvis Landry, the Higgins, you know, the Higgins mess, the Najoku injury, uh, Antonio Callaway. Wow. The blow up that we never saw really happening. Come on now. Um, you know, but look, that one kind of goes to the first segment on that guy. Um, and this is, John, before we're even talking about just general head coach game management. Um, no, no, no. We're going to go shut down R- Russell Wilson. We're going to score again. Um, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll go three and out and give the ball back to Lamar Jackson again. And, you know, the, the, the wasted reviews and the, no, 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 no. Well, I'm going to take a timeout and now I'm going to really complain until I make you review this play. And it's still not going to go my way. Uh, and that's just like a whole ball of wax of it. And, but the thing is, is these guys are in the NFL for a reason. And 95% of them came from big time college programs. They know what it looks like. They know what it feels like. They know what a leader is, and they know what a leader isn't. And once that shit got sinking, they knew. And even and the one thing here on the play calling, even if, hey, if they ended up 9-7 and seven, and for the last six games, Todd Monken was calling a place, guess what? Freddie Kitchens, you still got a job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Players knew it, um, and – it, it's it's clear it's clear what when when things are going you know what's interesting is that i think jarvis was interviewed after day after or whatever it happened and he said well did you guys ever feel it during the season it's like oh it was probably about the arizona game and clearly you know we we saw that from the outside but like they they always had like a outside shout at the playoffs and, and stuff like that but um and so that's probably why they were just blind to everything else in terms of you know what? We still got a shot. We still got a shot. But once the Arizona game hit, it was like, no, we don't. And uh, so the blinders came off and they saw everything that was wrong with, with the head coach. And, you know, it, I mean, if it's obviously like a wasted season almost because, um, you know, and you have to, I mean, obviously the owners, I, I give the owners credit for recognizing the issue that was at hand. Um, but obviously they're the ones that, that, you know, uh, made the bed. Um, so it, it's, it's obviously frustrating for Brown's fans, uh, kitchens with, with, you know, like you said, going from the, the Seattle game, all right. You wanted to score quickly in the Seattle game. I get it. Like that's, that's fine, but recognize, have the beat of your team, 
the team at that point was actually clicking right then and there in that game. Uh, but from then on, that offense was no longer clicking. There was lots of issues with with everything we've talked about on the show. Um, and knowing at on that Baltimore game, hey, the beat of my offense, I I can't like I can't do run it like this. Um, and then you obviously got 21 un, unanswered points scored in a, in a span of, you know, five minutes of game game time. Right. And that was that was the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, these guys know exactly what what leadership looks like in a head coach. Um, they might be blind to it for a while. Like like, you know, because like these co- these players are all they grow up as, as NFL players or, or as play, football players playing sports. You're taught hey, your coach says something, you do it right. Um, and. I still have that mentality in me. It's like, Hey, if an authority figure is telling me, Hey, you need to do X, Y, Z. I do it. Like that's, that's my job to do it. Um, you fall in line as if a leader is telling you to do that, but there com- becomes a certain point where you recognize like the blinders of, of the newness comes off of, Hey, this is, this isn't working. Um, you know, I, and then you, you go back on and, and have retrospect on, on issues that happened earlier in the season and in the off season and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. These players recognize it. Um, it maybe took a while. Some of them maybe earlier than others. Um, but that's an issue, though, right? Like, if when when players, they slowly recognize it. Some recognize it early. Some recognize it late. And then you want them to fall in line. But it's like, uh, well, the, I don't want to follow this guy. So, yeah, you know. And it, it, a lot of things changes. And one thing you'll always, you know, hear within professionals' points is, guess what? It's a lot easier to go out, find a new man to run the show, than it is to go out and find a new roster. Uh, John, whether it's Stefanski, who obviously, you know, maybe would look good through the deep pedestal lens. Obviously, the Haslam's, Haslam's kind of have their eye on Mr. McDaniels. Um, Mike McCarthy brings in the best me- resume out of anybody into this. Um, talk a little about these guys and all the others. Is there a dark horse here that maybe could make some noise similar to Mike Tomlin years ago in Pittsburgh, where they never had any thought of hiring him? And once he walked out the room, they were like, Phew, OK, I think we got our guy. Um, in terms of the Arcos, I'd have to think about it a little bit, but I think that, I mean, McDaniels and, and Stefanski are the two obviously front runners that we, we know about. Um, obviously Deep Podesta liked Stefanski last year, at least according to the reports that, um, obviously he probably leaked a little bit to go, Hey, this is the guy I wanted, but, um, you know, so like Stefanski, he ran a ton of, you know, uh, heavier running formation sets, two wide receiver, fewer sets um, this year, most in the NFL by a long shot. So he has experience with that. And he kind of had to do that out of necessity because of Adam Thielen going down because after Stefan Diggs, uh, that wide receiver group is not good Um, without Adam Thielen being there. So he did the best he could with the personnel, especially with with uh, an offensive line that was really poor. They had Dalvin Cook that was – Delvin Cook is a great player. Um, you know, he can make a lot of uh, issues on the offensive line look look better. But also, like in pass protection, like, you know, he was able to scheme up things to to get Kirk Cousins moving out of the pocket to keep him clean and whatnot like that. So he's a guy that, um, you know, he listened to him, listened to him in interviews and stuff like that. He's a very, you know, thoughtful uh, person. Um, he's not quick to emotion. He uh, really thinks about everything that he says and then how a process is supposed to work. Um, and really, and, you know, when he was talking about building an offense for that team, built, talking about building a foundation and 
building a base for that offense. And then when when they're in the middle of a season, if things aren't going right, they can pull back from that base and go, all right, let's get back into a rhythm from from the core set of plays that we're really good at. Um, and he talked about that type of stuff. And so that that's where he, where he would be really good at. Um, obviously, I think he would he would have a more analytically minded uh, point of view. Mike Zimmer's even said that about him in, in press conferences and you, that you hear that about him. So that, I think that would be beneficial for, you know, for an analytically minded front office and led by Paul D. Podesta. Now with Josh McDaniels, uh, obviously we know about the issues he had when he was at Denver Broncos, but that was a decade ago. Um, and so there's, you would hope from, from that experience, he's a learned um, and grown from it. Um, and then he's also learned and grown with, you know, in the 10 years since being an offensive coordinator with uh, under the Patriots and, you know, leading that and multiple different Super Bowls and seeing how that process works and how Bill Belichick runs an organization and really learn that system. And he also does things where if you listen to him in conference, uh, press conferences and, and interviews where he, he talks about how, um, you know, Julian Edelman, like everybody considers Julian Edelman a slot player, but he's much more than just a slot player. He plays outside. He plays inside. He does a lot of different things for that offense, as opposed to like a Danny Amendola, a Wes Welker, a Troy Brown. Those guys were all pure slot players. Um, And he, you know, so he knows how to utilize players to their strengths. He's done that. We've seen that. You can see how that offense morphs into something that it needs to be. Obviously this year has not been that great because basically they just don't have the, the the talent uh this so far this year but they've still you still managed 12 wins um with with an, with that offense and uh as bad as it is um but uh you know he's able to do multiple different things with an offense and recognize and, and adapt to his players so i think that's a positive for him and then i think i think you know that you you listen to him talk that he's he's much more humble um about uh the way he approaches the coaching you know position as opposed to when he was in Denver where he he went in there trying to prove something that he was the best and everything like that and it doesn't seem like that's that's his personality anymore um you know you a lot people change a lot in 10 years and so especially when you have a humbling experience like that as a, as a failed head coach um you know and I think like we say with the dark horse uh candidates you know there's Mike McCarthy's been a name that's put out there. I don't think he's a dark horse, but um, he's probably not going to get the position now with Paul DePodesta running it. Um, but it seems know, like, yeah, the way they're going with the front office, it, it seems like, you know, Mike's going to have to look elsewhere. Right. I think, and I think Mike could probably, um, you know, like, like he would, I think he'd be a fine fit. Right. But I don't think he's easily, he's definitely not the top candidate that, that the, the off, front office would want. Uh, I think Robert Sala, I, like I haven't really actually looked into much to him yet. I was going to uh, in the coming days and just listening to more more about him. But uh, apparently he's a lot more than just a uh, an animated, uh, energetic guy out on the sideline just getting fired up. But he, he definitely is an emotional guy. So I don't think that would be the candidate they would get. I think it's more along the lines of trying to get your due, – doing your due diligence and getting uh, – doing your um, – you know, maybe learning more about that San Francisco system because they were definitely wanting to to uh, interview three player, you know, three guys from that. And I think one of the guys that would make sense for an offensive coordinator with paired with Steph, you know, Stefanski would be Mike McDaniel. Uh, those guys have worked together in the off seasons before with the QB Collective. 
uh, and they run the same offense. And Mike McDaniel, he's a he. When Kyle Shannon was the offensive coordinator for the Browns, he was in that staff. Uh, you know, Andrew Hawkins speaks extremely highly of him. Uh, he's a wide receivers coach that that uh, Kyle Shannon trusts to be the run game coordinator. You know, that combination right there is pretty rare. You're typically having your offensive line coach being the run yep. game coordinator, not not a, a wide receivers coach. So that kind of shows the understanding that that individual has as a just as an offensive mind, um, very intelligent person. So if you could if you could get, you know, my opinion, you know, maybe this is jumping ahead, but I mean, pairing Stefanski and Mike McGann would be a really good pairing, in my opinion. Well, and the first thing first is is the most important thing what you're doing here and why you're coming here is you're coming here for Baker Mayfield. So you need to have a plan in place. Yes, I'm going to be the guy. And this was a voice who's going to speak with Baker. And it's going to be a similar voice, you know, blindfold them. The words are going to be the same. The verbiage is going to be the same. The evaluation of the film is going to be the same. It'll be the same message going, which is the whole reason. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming here for Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's a fantastic DN. Nobody's coming to this team to coach Miles Garrett. They're coming to this team because they think Baker Mayfield can lead them to their own Super Bowl titles. I, I think I think so. Like the head coach needs to be a, a leader of men, a great organizer, and a, an ability to hire a great staff. That's I mean that's the offense. That's a head coach's job, right? Like like having him to be an offensive guy, a defensive minded, or even a um, uh, you know special teams minded. It doesn't really matter in my opinion on on what he is, but he needs to be have the the ability to bring in an offensive staff that an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach that can, can coach that position and get and elevate that position. Um, and I don't think it really matters actually who the player is right there. Obviously Baker Mayfield is that player right now. And I don't think you need, you need to be looking for hiring a coach that specifically fits Baker Mayfield. Like Baker Mayfield had a coach that fit him this past year. And we saw how that went. We need a guy that can coach him and coach him hard and take him out of his comfort zone of being able to grow because that's the only way you do grow. Obviously I think you know, Baker probably had, you know, growth this year through adversity and stuff like that. Uh, but he needs to you know, have that coaching staff that can, that can grow him. And you know what, like, like we think he's the franchise quarterback, but you know, he's still on his rookie contract. You're still evaluating that and whatnot. So I don't think it's a, it's a, you, you can't go into this hiring thinking, all right, they've got to fix Baker Mayfield or it's got to be for Baker Mayfield. It essentially has to be for the whole team and building, being able to build that team properly uh, to help, help elevate the quarterback position, whoever it may be. Obviously that's Baker Mayfield right now, but um, it, and, and obviously like you hope that it, it, Baker Mayfield turns out to be, you know, that franchise quarterback that we all thought he was when he was drafted and especially his rookie year. Um, but it's it's one of those things where you you if you go into it thinking all right we got to pair this well with with Baker Mayfield specifically you're failing already if if that makes sense I don't know if you you're getting what I'm trying to say here mm-hmm. right Not so but I mean it's the most important position in football right but it's got to be a, a the coaches there have to be obviously whoever comes in needs to be able to elevate that position and coach him well that's essentially what it is but. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to like dismiss Baker Mayfield, but I don't think you want to you never want to tie like you just don't like you want to just hire the right people. And and obviously the players are here. They have to they're going to coach the players that are here. Right. So um, but you just don't want to um, because like if Baker Mayfield fails, 
right? Like if he ends up not being it, then you're looking at another coaching search and coach and GM search and stuff like that. Like that's where I'm at, right? Like um, you don't want to have it rest on this one player. You want to have a, okay. a, a, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Right. So. Well, it's understandable, but, and even, you know, but even still though, you, you got to start by getting the offense, right. We're going to get to a couple of things. Right, uh, one last thing here with John um, guys, a uh, great weekend, a uh, wildcard weekend, great slate of games, mybookie.ag four games. You want to parlay them. If you feel confident in all four games, go ahead, open up those spreads more to your liking. Uh, the fantasy over unders still a possibility. Uh, you get a chance now to watch four football games this weekend uninterrupted flow one into the other. Uh, any bets you have, mybookie.ag. They've been around for years. Uh, put some money down. They'll match it up to 50% here for Wild Card Weekend. Nice weekend of betting. It's always a fun one where you got four games unabated like this. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Now, John, regardless of the GM, we only got a couple of minutes. Regardless of the head coach, give me two, maybe even three names on this roster who were better football players this year than they were in 2018. Cause this is really where it all comes down to. Um, that is going to take a bit. This is a fantastic question because, uh, I struggle to ask uh, Jarvis Landry. I'd say, I think Jarvis Landry is better this year than he was last year. I think that's, that's a, you know, like Landry was, has always graded well in our system. Mainly you get targets, you make yards, you get yards after contact. He breaks tackles. Um, he's been a player that grades well, but this year he probably had one of his best years. I wouldn't say it was absolutely his best year, but he did have a really good year this year. And I think he actually, he may have earned that pro bowl uh, selection because he, he was one of the good bright spots on and you look team. at the AFC. I mean, you, you look at the NFC pro bowl wide receivers and you look at the AFC pro bowl wide receivers. Yeah. He did earn it this year. Yes. Yeah. So definitely. And I, so and another player that, Maybe maybe he was better. He was still just really good. Was Nick Chubb, um, and I think you know like the numbers, number the, the run blocking was so much worse this year uh, than it was last year. Coming out of the season last year, we actually you know P, at PFF we had the offensive line rated number two in the NFL. You traded away Kevin Zeitler, and then the both offense tackles. Well, I, one offense tackle regressed quite a bit. JC Treader was not as good as this year as he was last year. Joel Batonio took a little bit of a step back. So, you, and then you you lose you have a right a right guard position that was pretty bad for most of the year. But um, the so like that the running the running the run game from him I think was way like really impressive in terms of what he was able to do um, because of uh, the how bad the offensive line was. On the defensive side of things, like Miles Garrett was on his way to a better season uh, in rushing the passer. Um, so that, you know, there's that as, uh, you know, which would be a positive until he yeah, obviously he was no longer here. Uh, but outside that, on the defensive side of the ball, like, like everybody got worse. Like everybody that was here last year uh, got worse. I'd say Denzel Ward started to come back around mm-hmm. uh, in the second half of the season. Um, but his early season struggles were pretty bad. Um, and but so overall, his his play took a dip. And, uh, you know, you look at Demarius Randall, TJ Carey, everybody just took a step back. So, Well, and this is what you look at. So basically four stars on the team played like the stars they were. You still got 49 other, 49 other guys. And, you know, people got to step up. And nobody did. And look – that's that alone in and of itself is what's going to get a coaching staff changed. 
Um, then you look at who was the architect who brought said players in. So then there's a lot of damage there. And then the fact of the architect also brought in the head coach, the architect maybe wanted to keep around the head coach. And we're, I mean, the conversation yesterday, everybody can, it was so simple. John, this is where we're going to go. Um, you know, the nerds, we're going to listen to the nerds a little bit. And I even think to Dave Gettleman yesterday, oh, we hired some computer type people. That's great. Are you going to do anything with it? Because, you know, you can say we're going to bring this in. And, and the other thing is you talk about a guy like Gettleman or Dorsey. Oh, that's great. You gave me 30 pages here. Yeah, I ain't going to read this. I, you know, the question is, are you going to embrace it? Or are you going to use it and find how, how it's going to improve you? And there are plenty of older folks in this league who have found a way to mature into that process. That's exactly right. So, like, when, when Brown <laughs> had this analytical approach early on with Saucy Brown, like, all right, we're going to do this. But then immediately off the bat, hired a coach that, had didn't want any of that right and then he they would give him all these things these tools and stuff like that didn't use them so you talk about how like oh the analytics failed for the browns back then so like well they failed because because they didn't listen to it i mean look listen to it you have to i mean look i mean you can go to Home Depot and buy all the tools in the world, but if you know you put them in your shed and you have no desire to use them, what's the point of it? Um, guys, this has been a good one here. Um, I've, it's going to be a busy week. You know, there's, there's going to be no uh, decompressing for Lockdown Browns with all that's going on here. He is John Costco. Make sure you're following at John Costco's three. Check out all the work at PFF. John will be busy with the Rose Bowl today. Uh, Lockdown Browns, follow us over there. DM's always open. Always a follow-back account. Me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. DMs open over there. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. A lot of work to do, a lot of content to get out. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB, I'm the LOB. Let's go Browns.